Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Fay and on today's podcast we'll look ahead to United's penultimate game of the Premier League season when they travel to face Brighton this weekend and of course it's the penultimate game of Ralph Raniak's reign as interim manager as well. We'll have a look at what he said at his press conference and the early team news ahead of United's trip to the South Coast and this week I'm joined by Tyrone Marshall and Ty you will be making that trip down south to watch United on the road again. Two away games left in the season, Brighton and then Crystal Palace on the final day. There was, you know, a bit of positivity after the win against Brentford, just about as cohesive United have been sort of under Raniuk anyway. There was lots of positives. In his press conference today, the German said that United seemed to be having a lot of fun, seemed to be enjoying themselves, and he was happy with the way in which they, they played that game against Brentford. I guess the challenge now is replicating that. You know, United have had a few false dawns, haven't they, this season? And it's a easy sort of said task to go and win at Brighton. You know, they they themselves are well drilled, really well coached. What are you expecting this weekend? I'm not sure, really. It's quite, it's quite a hard one to call. Um, you know, he's right. It did look like United players were having fun on Monday night. And that's the first time in, since about September, I would say, it's looked <laughs> like um, anyone playing for United has been having fun. The introduction of Matter probably played a part in that. It feels like he's a fun footballer to play with and Brentford are quite an open team and give you chances. And it feels like Saturday will, will probably be the same. Brighton are a really good watch under Gray and Potter, but they do make games open. They, they make it they're not easy to play against. They can be really, really difficult to play against when they're on it. And first half at, at Old Trafford a couple of months ago, they were really good. They were unlucky to lose that game 2-0. The, the game turned on a brilliant Ronaldo finish and then a red card. Two minutes later, first half, Brighton had been the better team. But the way they play and, you know, they, they want to play football and they want to make it an attractive game. And, and that makes it nice to play against unless you're losing. So I think it, it should suit United in that regard. Um, it, it was interesting to hear Ranick as well the other day talk about ending the season on a high and finishing with momentum and it, it building into something for next season. And never really sure how much sort of credence to give that kind of idea that you, you can build that momentum and carry it from one season into a next especially at a club like United where there's going to be so much change. But it is a pretty short turnaround this season. I mean, the last day of the season is May the 22nd. They've gone on tour July the 8th. They'll probably be back at Carrington the week before that. The first game of the season is August the 6th. So it is a tight turnaround. And I guess if you know if they could finish with three straight wins, then it would give them something to go into next season, even though of those players involved in those um, three potential straight wins we're talking about, maybe only five or six would be Tim Ten Hag's first team but at least it would be some kind of momentum and a nice way to finish a pretty wretched season yeah you mentioned there that it's always going to be that caveat that there's a, there's a chance for a clean clean slate at the end of the campaign but you'd like to think that some of these players those on the periphery at least will be pushing to try and make an impact and make a name for themselves and get themselves in the, the new manager's thoughts but i suppose on the flip side <laughs> It was Matic and Mata who were so good on Monday night. Both of them will leave for free at the end of the season. We'll come on to Jesse Lingard. He's a separate issue uh, maybe in a minute or two. But do you see any point in playing Juan Mata anymore? Because he was brilliant. But that performance against Brentford sort of posed more questions than it answered. You just wondered, have United wasted him over the last few years? Should he have been played in that number 10 role? And I put a tweet out which got... Uh, some people the wrong way in saying that you know United sort of built the team around Bruno Fernandes as number ten, and Juan Mata always had to adapt to the team, and you know that's not a criticism of Bruno Fernandes. There's a reason United gave him such a luxury, but Mata's always had to sort of fit into different plans rather than than be that sort of central core of the team. But yeah, Ty, 
it's great and they, he's loved by supporters and rightfully so he's such a lovely human being and like you said such a delight to watch as well on the pitch so popular with his teammate mm. but he is leaving so what's the point of playing Juan Mata who's a nice guy when you've got so many other players who feel they haven't had an opportunity this season and there's so many youngsters who play an attacking role as well do you think that Ranić has to bite the bullet or do you think it's the fact that you know he hasn't got a long-term interest really with developing the first team he might have this consultancy role, but it's not his, It's not directly mm. in his interest to make sure Hannibal's getting minutes here and there. So do you actually think youngsters will get a chance in these last two games, or do you think it'll be more of this farewell tour? I think it'll probably be more of the farewell tour, to be honest. Um, and like I said, Rani talking about momentum suggests that he clearly values the victories. His Not his coaching credentials, he's obviously got on the job lined up in Austria, but coaching-wise and management-wise... It, it's been a failure for him. He's failed at what he was brought in to do, which was improve the results of the previous manager. But finishing with three wins would put a positive spin on it. I know we were talking before and we, we pick our sort of panel teams and predicted, not predicted teams, but the teams we would pick for the weekend. And we both did it before the press conference. And I know neither of us picked Matic or, or Mata for the same reasons that what's the point in playing them now? With Rashford being out here, I've had to go back to Mata. Um, and I think both will start, to be honest. I think Ranić will start them both. But like I say, it's not... You know, I mean, it's not a great look that you're picking two 30-something midfielders who are leaving the club in the summer, but the injuries are getting ridiculous, really. Um, I think Fred will, will come back in this time, but there's, you know, there's, there's an argument to start with someone ahead of Matic, but the, those two recent games at Old Trafford have, have just proved how much better Matic is than McTominay in that holding role at the moment. McTominay looks really short of form and confidence at the moment. His passing radar is all over the place. Um, so, I, I I would like to see youngsters get some game time, but I think it's more likely to be from the bench. Garnacho's only going to get a few minutes, you'd think, with the, the Youth Cup final on Wednesday being the priority for, for him. There's probably merit in giving him 10 or 15 minutes if possible, just as a confidence boost. Beyond that, it, it'd be interesting to see with, with Hannibal. Obviously, it's you know it's been pretty weird. It's been pretty strange that he's been axed from the squad completely recently. And I think we were all surprised he played for the under-23s at the game you were at on the Friday night before the Arsenal game and, and still hasn't been back in the squad. Um, I mean, I said at the time that when, when it was there at Anfield, that when he came on and went around kicking people, and I know a lot of United fans loved it and Gary Neville loved it, but and you're using a lot of under-23s games. He gets kicked all over the place in under-23s games, but he reacts a lot of the time as well. And he, you know, there's always been, I think, this idea that he might have a short fuse and might be mm. easy to be wound up and... I'm not sure, as much as it might have played well with fans, I, I wasn't sure at the time it was going to play particularly well with United that he came on against Liverpool and just kicked people, basically. You know, as a fan, it's great to see, but I'm not I'm not sure it's... When there's maybe question marks about his temperament at the club, I'm not sure it was the wisest thing for his development for him to do. And you wonder if that's part of the reason now why he's, he's not been seen since. I, I think there's no other reason for it. I mean, if he was... It would make perfect sense to play him. He's he's a 10, 10 million, potentially a 10 million euro signing. He's 19. He's got international experience at two tournaments now. He's very highly rated across Europe. This is the ideal opportunity to see if he can be part of that squad for next season. But as it is, he can't even be part of the squad for this season. So you wonder if there's something more going on there that and like I say, that 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 sort of cameo at Anfield didn't play as well in the club as, as it played outside of it. And the other one, I guess, is I mean, Fernandez. I don't think he'll start, but he's got to come on for Tellez in at least one of these next two games and just give him half an hour, give him that taste of experience. And the one we were talking about before, 
off air while we navigated some some technical difficulties on this podcast was Shona Shortere, and obviously he's he's been in a squad recently and then back out. But I think there's, it's worth giving him some game time as well. I was saying he's he's played for the under-23s in midfield recently, and I know when they moved from midfield for the first time against Leicester, Neil Wood thought he was outstanding. He was really good against Chelsea in midfield when when I the game I went to, and there's maybe given the injuries that are going on and the issues in midfield, you maybe. If you start Matty, you maybe give Shortere half an hour after that to, to play in a number eight role and and see if he can fulfil that option because he's generally played across the front line. But looking forward, there's maybe more options to play as a number eight under Ten Hag than there are out wide. And it's it's another string to his bow. So it's maybe worth including him on the bench to, to maybe bring him on for Matter for 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we say as well, Shortere seems to have almost gone, gone under the radar, doesn't he? He doesn't get appreciated because as is the nature of the beast of United, it's always who's the next youngster. And, yeah. you know, Alanga barely got a chance. There. It was Garnacho, And, you know, Garnacho will probably get replaced by Kobe Maynu if he has a good Youth Cup final and there'll be another one. But that's the beauty of it. You know, United have such a prestigious line of, of youth talent and, and keeping it up is a real credit to them. But again, it means that sometimes you can't take for granted, you can't sort of appreciate what's already at the club. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. But like you said, Ty, surely, even in Ranić's sort of legacy, if you can say I'm the person who gave these players debuts, much like Louis van Gaal did, you know, he did sort of do some dirty work in terms of getting the, the youngsters those opportunities, which, you know, in in the long run, I was going to say Marcus Rashford, fans wouldn't call him a success right now, but ultimately he is considering he's a, a prospect and a, someone who came from, from the academy. But like you said, I think Ranić would would earn himself, you know, a lot of respect from the supporters as well if they could, if he could give, you know, these last two games mm-hmm. to the future of the club because you might as well, especially when the first teamers have let themselves down so often this season. One player who probably won't be starting to get the Amex is Jesse Lingard. Obviously, this week, his brother took to Instagram and said it was classless that United didn't give him his farewell opportunity in that game against Brentford. Uh, Ranić sort of hit back in the press conference saying, well, you know, this is someone who we had to release from training because he had family issues to attend to in the build-up to the game. And he said that, you know, there might have been supporters online calling the decision not to give Cavani a send-off classless or not giving Garnacho a chance classless. You know, there's always going to be players who miss out. You play for Manchester United. That is just it. And another thing that Ranić said throughout his tenure is he's not got to just hand out appearances. He doesn't want it to just be, you know, doing things for nice reasons. You need to earn the right to play for Manchester United. Jesse Lingard has been a servant to the club. He is another success of the Youth Academy, someone who's been out on loan countless times and, you know, defied those odds to make himself a main a first-team staple, scored cup-winning goals, he's won trophies for the first team. And it's quite a sorry end. You know, he could have left last summer and his stock would have been very high in England international, someone who would rejuvenate himself at West Ham. But it's in danger of sort of petering out and being remembered for the wrong reasons. I feel like Lingard worked so hard to almost correct this identity he had. You know, people used to scapegoat him all the time and he used to be an easy target. And Obviously, he's not blameless in all this himself. There were some stupid decisions on his part. But his stock really did rise at West Ham. And... Every United fan was loving him again, and he has been wasted this season. He's made huge contributions. You think that win at West Ham where he set up Ronaldo. You think of the Atlanta win where he set up Ronaldo. Oh, he got the winner, didn't he himself? Was it West Ham he got the winner? At West Ham he got the winner, yeah. Three, two, yeah, and at Atlanta was it he back healed for I think Ronaldo. Villarreal. Or Villarreal. Villarreal, Champions yeah. Group stage, wasn't yeah, it? And 
you know, he's made these impacts, but not mm. been rewarded. And you can understand his frustration. But now we have to almost go counterbalance because we've just been saying that play we need United need to play for the future can't be just handing out appearances. So can we just say that it was wrong not to give Lingard a farewell when he's not been playing anyway? Um, Ranić saying that you know he's given him more chances than the, the previous regime anyway. You can understand both sides of, of the argument, maybe. Yeah, to a degree. Um, I mean, I just think United have handled Lingard really, really poorly this year. I don't think anything they've done this season with Jesse Lingard makes any sense whatsoever. Um, they should have sold him last summer. I don't know why they didn't. It's absolutely ridiculous. Just they just uh, they just hoard players. Um, you know, it's the same to a degree. It's the same with Eric Bailly. I mean, why on earth did they give him a three-year contract a year ago? It's just completely. It's just ridiculous, ridiculous footballing decisions time and time again. And why they didn't sell Lingard last summer? It was absolutely preposterous at the time. Then, like, you even see that now, though, with Dean Henderson, United could have sold him or loaned him out this season. At least loan yeah. him out so he comes back a better keeper. Yeah, he's just yeah. wasted a year of just his wasted life. Wasted a year of his career. Yeah, and probably feels resentment towards United for it, like Jesse Lingard clearly does. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. And like you say, Lingard at the start of the season, the goal against Newcastle, the goal against West Ham, the contribution against Villarreal. He was coming on every week and having an impact. All right, it was a negative impact against Young Boys, but it was a few days later he scored against West Ham. And he's barely, I think he started two Premier League games since then, maybe only one, maybe only that Leeds one. Um, and it just doesn't make any sense to not let him go in January. There was the haggling over the, the fee with Newcastle. And you can understand United trying to push for a survival fee and get some money for him, but they should have sold him in the summer if that was their view. Um, United said at the time when, when someone was talking to me about Lingard and why they were asking for, I think it was 12 million survival bonus for, for Lingard, that... You know, if he was for sale on the open market, he'd be worth fifty million pounds. And the simple answer was, why? Why are you not playing him then? He's worth fifty million pounds, and none of it makes any sense. I thought I said on Tuesday's podcast and on Twitter, I thought it was really poor. He didn't get a farewell. The general response on Twitter, and I mean, you're talking of a handful of fans here. It's obviously a clear minority. It's that they're not having him. That he's a problem in the dressing room. He's a source of leaks. Um, you know. I, he was he was thrown under the bus by Paul Scholes. I think that's gone against him since. But mm. you know, he was Scholes. That's was a private conversation, isn't it? That's yeah, and Scholes has said he was wrong to say it. And Scholes, you know, Scholes just said. I mean, I think Scholes said that Jesse had rang him about it, and you know, he was it was a private conversation. He was clearly wrong to to say it and use it. But I'm sure there's a lot of United players talking to their friends, saying things like that, and and then getting back. And this is how things get back to the press as well. The United players will talk to friends, friends will talk to friends, and someone will talk to someone in the press. It, it's just how it works. It's, you know, it's not a direct line that this player is responsible for every leak you see. And it, it's exactly. just not and how it that works. Exactly. And there's that dangerous narrative of people on social media trying to find out, well, who's the mole? Who, who is yeah. it leaking this stuff? Where it's exactly. often and a third party. Yeah, what Skull said, I think everyone has now said, oh, well, Lingard's the problem. Lingard's telling everyone the dressing room's toxic, blah, 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 you know? Not, not necessarily the case. I was told earlier in the season by someone in the dressing room that it, you know, it, it, the, it wasn't as big an issue. It wasn't that toxic. The issue was more morale than players not getting on and not liking each other, and that they've been they've had such a bad season. They've been battered from pillar to post that basically heads have just gone and confidence is mm. is at an all time low. And I think that's you know that's still the same. I did a story a couple of weeks ago after the Arsenal game saying the same sort of thing that the issue in that dressing room is belief rather than players not getting on and, and there's always going to be when you've got a squad of 
25 players as United have, maybe more with United, which is part of the issue that there's players there who are unhappy with their playing time. You're going to get people that are unhappy, that are hard to manage. And when things are going wrong, the belief has gone completely. And I think that's a that's a bigger issue than, you know, pinning every leak on Lingard and saying he's causing problems. He's telling people about this, that and the other. That's just not the way it is. And he's he is far more befitting of a farewell than Edison Cavani. Cavani was great last year, but he's been anonymous this year. He was hard done to by Ronaldo signing. And I think he said this week, if it happened earlier, he'd have left. And you can understand why that would be the case. But you mentioned there, is it three cup final goals for, for Lingard, I think, in for United? I mean, he's he's been at the club for over 20 years. He just, he deserved a better farewell. And I think over the last 12 months, especially, he's been just really, really badly handled by United. And it's another, another incident where the club should be looking at themselves thinking, you know, we're not getting these decisions right. We are not getting these footballing decisions right. And things need to change. Exactly. And... Yeah, like you said, I'm guessing it wasn't you who was crying towards Edson Cavani in that video that went viral earlier in the week. And, right. and like you said, again, that's a part of the issue that you've got people here who almost take for granted the position they're in. You play for Manchester United, this should be the pinnacle of your career. You shouldn't be looking for a way out. And even if things aren't going well, it's still such a privilege and such an honour to wear that shirt that it's it's just... People never used to want to leave United. They used to when your time was up, they got rid of you. You, you know, it's just mad how that's that's been flipped on its head. But like you said, hopefully this summer there can be a clean slate and, and fresh ideas and maybe a rejuvenation of what it really means to play for the club. Although I'm starting to sound a bit like Oligon Solskjaer, I say that sort of stuff. I'm gonna resist saying cultural reset for now. Um, Ty Brighton then this weekend, and the early team news is that Harry Maguire may return but it's unlikely to be the case for Jaden Sancho. Marcus Rashford has also been ruled out of the game. So, yeah, like you said, Mata might almost have to start by default because it's either a youngster, which, you know, there's an argument for that, but Garnacho has got this youth cup, which we'll look at maybe on the next podcast as a bit of a preview for that. So we're at Rashford. The forward line's depleted even more. Sancho expected to be out for this weekend and possibly even for the Palace game on the final day. Is that a case of a lingering matter then? And you've already sort of gone through your other players you'd like to see, but what do you think is the most likely lineup? Do you think Maguire will come straight back in? Uh, I hope not, to be honest. I would be saying to Maguire, take just take the next two games off, really. Um, I've been saying for a while, he, he looks like a player who needs to clear his head, who just needs needs a break. I know he's become the the not the problem, but he's the you know he's the face of. United's disastrous season, really, isn't he? He's the embodiment of United's disastrous season. He's the captain. He's had a, a horrific season. Um, and there, there are clearly issues there. But he is not a bad centre-half. He was never an £80 million centre-half. And I think that was always always an issue. But the idea of value is is almost non-existent in football. There was always have to be a, there's, there's always a, a big fee when you're trying to sign players from Premier League clubs. That was always going to be the case with Maguire and your Manchester United. Um, You know, they overpaid for him, but Maguire's value is what a club wants to pay for him. And at the time, that that club wanted to pay for him. But it's easy for us to say that. It's less easy for the player to get his head around it. And at the time, probably still is, in fact, the the, the most expensive centre-back in the world. He was made captain after six months when he'd never played for a club bigger than Leicester before. Um, You know, I think there's, there's been a lot for him to deal with. Obviously, there was the episode... Last summer in in Greece, which was a lot for him to deal with as well. I, you know, there's there's a good player in there. He was very good for Leicester. He was watched by a lot of a lot of scouts at the time. He'd been watched a lot by United. You know, United don't sign players for eighty million pound who are absolutely hopeless. 
City, you know, City wanted him as well, but would never go near £80 million. Had he been available for 50, he'd probably be at City now. Um, you know, you think back to the game before United signed him a few years ago, and he went on that run for Leicester in their game against City where, where Vincent Company scored. And he virtually ran at the length of the pitch and created a chance for Madison, I think it was. And people mm. were absolutely raving about him at the time. And he was, you know, he was phenomenal for England that summer. So there is there is a good player there who was having a terrible time of things. I I think Ten Hag this summer, it, it's a delicate conversation to have, but you'll take the captain's armband off him and just tell him this is for your own good. Because at the moment, yeah. you're not good enough to be in the team, but at your best, you are. So you you can keep the captain's armband, but you probably won't be in the team on current form, so you won't be captain anyway. Or someone else becomes the captain, you spend a year focusing on your own game, get back to the levels you know you can play at, and you'll probably be in the best 11. But at the moment, he's not there. And I think he needs to, you know, he needs a, a reset and to clear his head. And I don't see any need for him to play in these last two games, really. Lindelof's been fine. Phil Jones has been fine when he's when he's come on. Um, so I don't see any need for Maguire. I'd be saying to him, just, you know, be done for the season, clear your head now, come to the games, be on the bench even, but just focus on on clearing your head, get away in the summer, come back, and then just focus on getting back to your best because United aren't going to write him off at £80 million because no, one's, no one will pay half that at the moment for him. So they have to try and rebuild his confidence and I just I don't see the need for him to play and, and risk another mistake in these final two games or another poor United performance where he has to front up and give one of those solemn, sorrowful MUTV interviews that he's become an expert in this year. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be playing him in the team. Um, but beyond that, like I say, I think the team pretty much picks itself. I think Fred will come back in, probably from McTominay. Beyond that, it's going to be Mata, Alanga, uh, Fernandez and, and Ronaldo, isn't it? There's very little option beyond that. Um, there's been no news on Cavani, so it looks like he, he is going to be in the squad. Um, but I can't see him playing two up front. So, yeah, I think that's probably mu- pretty much it. The team the team picks itself. They are really short of options at the moment heading into the, the final weeks of the season. And the interesting thing is going to be, it almost feels like that the season could do with ending this weekend because, yeah. like we say, the mood is low even after a win. They've got nothing to play for. And then they're going to have two weeks before the final final game of the season. It's going to be a, a long stretch when in reality in those two weeks, all the players are doing is, is thinking about their, their flights on May the 23rd to Dubai or, or Florida or wherever they're going on, on holiday for a break. So it's going to be a pretty a pretty strange end to the season. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's just a wish for it all to end now. And maybe, mm. like you said, it would be good if Rannick could take some players aside next week and say, listen, I'm not going to play on the final day. Go away now. Have a prolonged mm. break. And that's going to benefit the club in the long term. And if Ralph is honest, which I do believe him to be, when he says, you know, he's still committed to making sure United can become great again, you know, even though he's going to have this Austria role and he wants to to help the club in the long term, then surely it's in his interest to to do that and to make sure that they're best place for when Ten Hag takes over. And I guess another side note from the press conference today is that Ranjik has said, you know, that he still is planning to talk to Ten Hag. They will have a proper chat. But obviously, that's once the season's over. I think Ranjik would be happy to speak now. But Ten Hag is so focused on the Eredivisie and trying to win another Dutch top flight trophy that that you can understand why he doesn't want to discuss United yet. And I listened into his press conference today and he was asked two questions in English about United and both times he sort of dismissed them saying, you know, I am firmly concentrating on the job in hand as you'd expect. And like we said, if there's any more developments on Ten Hag or he says anything else, 
interesting, then we will keep you posted on the Manchester Evening News. Don't you worry about that. But Ty, I guess the last sort of minute or so of the podcast, your favourite time, prediction time, United away at Brighton. They've actually got a very good record against Brighton. I believe they've won... I think believe they're unbeaten in the last eight games against Brighton, which is peculiar because you seem to remember certainly Mourinho's reign. But United have, have got a decent record there. Of course, there's that infamous win after full-time had been blown when Bruno Fernandes netted that penalty. Like I said, they are usually quite interesting games. Obviously, the one early in the season, like you said, was you know sort of influenced by that red card, which is, which is understandable. But they aren't going to be pushovers, are they? And while United might want the season to end, Brighton will be hoping to end it on a high and prove just how good they still are and how much of a threat they can pose. So, yeah, even kick off on Saturday, half five at the Amex. What are you expecting the full-time result to be? I can see it being a decent open game um, with goals in it. I'm going to say 3-2 to United. Um, let's go for a, another 3-2 like last season. I mean, I don't think it'll be anywhere near as exciting as last season's game and, and that incredible end to, to the game. I mean, it feels mad that that was even last season, to be honest. Um, but yeah, that, that penalty after full-time and winning 3-2 was was an incredible game and a terrible United performance. I mean, they were absolutely battered by Brighton that day. I'm not sure how yeah. they how they managed Did to Trotter win. Trotter hit the bar a few times or something? I yeah, I think, they hit, I think Brighton hit the bar or the post three times, did they? Yeah. Maybe at least twice. Um, and like I said, they are, on their day, they can be a really good team and they go through, they're a real patchy team because they can go they can go six, seven, eight games without winning. And I think they were doing that earlier this season or a few weeks ago and then won away at Arsenal and then won away at Tottenham um, in successive weeks. So from nowhere, they can suddenly flick a switch. And it shows that they're probably better as well against good teams because much we say Brighton let the opposition play, good teams will let Brighton play as well. Whereas when they're playing the likes of, I don't know. Be careful um, what you say here. <laughs> when they're playing a Norwich or a Burnley or, or someone struggling or Watford desperate for the points, it's more of a slog where we know United will let Brighton play and Brighton will let United play. So I think it'll be a decent game. Um, that, that clean sheet on Monday was invaluable for United, but I think Brighton will score. I can see there being goals in it. So I'm going to go for a, a narrow United win with uh, with a few goals in it. Yeah, I think I, I was going to go say, I was going to say 3-1 United, maybe a bit more convincing, I think, you know, on the, the counter. And I believe, I think I know this is another sort of over or whatever. I think Bruno Fernandes has got at least a goal or an assist in every game he's ever played against Brighton. You know, he's, he is, you know, they're, they're his sort of favourite team to face. Mm. And, I feel like he's another one who maybe has a few more critics to sort of answer as well. I know he's been sort of hammered as every United player has been at, at times this season, but again, he's a player who's very capable of doing things on his day and yeah, he loves it down there at, on the South Coast. So we will be back early next week to see what does happen on Saturday evening. And like I said, maybe look ahead to that FA Youth Cup. That is the final against Nottingham Forest on Wednesday evening. You can still buy tickets from manunited.com. One pound a ticket. I believe we're nearly at 55,000 for that, which absolutely smashes the attendance record in the prestigious youth tournament. One pound for a ticket, all proceeds. Go to the Manchester United Foundation. We'll have some pre-match build-up stuff with players and with coaches as well on the MEM website early next week. Ty, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you, Rich. And thank you very much wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we will see you again next time.